I'll be in the 19th chapter of John today. For those of you that haven't been here, perhaps, we've started, this is the third week in the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. It's fascinating to me as not only a pastor, but as a disciple, more importantly, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, in that you see that while he's on the cross, he's addressing basically every aspect of our lives on planet earth and in the life yet to come. Two weeks ago, his first words were on forgiveness, something that you and I in our discipleship today need to embrace, need to understand, need to practice forgiveness. Then last week we talked about the fact that this repentant thief was going to be in paradise with him that same day. So eternal life comes through Jesus Christ and we spend eternity with him from the time that our earthly life ends, from the time our breath is no longer in our body, we are in eternity with Jesus, those of us that are believers in him. Now we want to talk about putting our house in order, the fact that he would even address this on a cross, on a crucifix, and his execution just blows you away. But here's what it says. Verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his house. Well, I tell you, this is fantastic. We see the crowd near the cross. When you read the first few verses before this, the soldiers took his clothes as was the typical tradition for soldiers to do at crucifixion scenes is to take the clothes of those being crucified and divide them among themselves. After all, they reasoned, these criminals needed them no longer. And so this garment was uh, seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. So they decided by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them, and cast lots for my clothing. Of course, that's Psalms 22. Then the Bible says this is what the soldiers did. So here on this scene at the cross, at the foot of the cross, you had four soldiers. And also at the foot of the cross, you had four women. Is that interesting? That God always has his people there. But look at the women that were there. First of all, there was Mary. Just a little aside here, uh, John in his gospel never referred to Jesus' mother by name. You wonder why. And it's 
believed that because Mary was such a common name, he did not want her to be confused with any of the other Marys as you see here. Uh, There are a number of Marys mentioned in the scripture. A number of Marys were named in that day. But here's Mary, mother of Jesus. John first mentions Mary at the feast, wedding feast at Cana. And there she was at a wedding, and now he's mentioning her at Jesus' death. Well, Mary, you mothers out in the audience can understand this, and we fathers as well, but that maternal instinct, here was Mary, a lone family member at the cross, Can you imagine her thinking? She had to be thinking back. Perhaps it was as she was talking about the announcement by the angel of this conception of her through the Holy Spirit and the birth of Jesus. Maybe she was thinking back at at the time when they presented Jesus to Simeon, the high priest. And Simeon prophesied, Through Jesus, a sword will pierce your soul. And she's feeling it at that particular moment. But she's looking at this scene of her son being crucified, this gory, brutal, ugly scene. Can you only imagine watching your own son going through this kind of physical mistreatment, abuse, torment, and torture? I can't comprehend that personally. But there she is as she stares up at the cross at Jesus. She's there. One thing about mothers, good mothers, they're there. They're always there. Mary's there. Then the second Mary that we see is Mary's sister Salome, or the second one that's mentioned, Mary's sister Salome. We know her from Mark 15, verse 40, and Matthew 27, verse 56. And we know that she is named as the mother of James and John. So here is this sister of Mary, Salome. Now Salome, you'll remember, was featured in 20th chapter of Matthew. There was a time... Remember, the disciples were battling over, the, over who would reign with Jesus when he came into his, they thought, earthly kingdom to reestablish the throne of David. You'll hear me say that a number of times in the future because it's very important to understand the mindset, the intellect of the people in that day. They expected Jesus, if he was really the Messiah, to come in and to sit on the throne of David to reign over Israel, to reestablish that throne in political as well as economic and religious prominence. And when he did, it would be his responsibility to name the person next in command, which would be on the right hand, and then the one after that on the left hand. So we pick up Salome, the mother of James and John. She comes with her two boys in Matthew 20. She kneels at Jesus' feet. She said, I've got a request for you. When you come into your kingdom, it's going to be your responsibility 
to put someone on the right and someone on the left of the throne. I don't care which one it is, as long as it's my two boys. She said, and I really don't care which side they're on as long as they're on each side of the throne. Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. And then he said to the boys sitting there, standing there, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? They said, oh, yes. Oh, what are they thinking? You're going to be a king. We're able to drink that cup. We're ready. We're ready for authority and for power and for prestige. We're ready for it. And Jesus says, no, I don't think you are, but you will drink the cup that I drink. And he said, as far as giving the seats, it's not mine to give. That's up to the Father. But he scourged not only the boys verbally, but also the mother for even making the request. The disciples, other disciples heard about it and they were, inf they were infuriated, of course, because they wanted those positions. So they didn't fully understand here. But here, to her credit, is Salome, along with her sister Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the foot of the cross. Then there's this third woman, Mary, the wife of Clopas. We know through other scripture and through history that she was the mother of James the Younger and Joseph. We don't know much more about her. Then there's Mary Magdalene. Oh, what do you think about Mary Magdalene? Mark 16, 9 and Luke 8, 2 says that she was the one in whom seven demons were cast out by Jesus. Now, the Bible records her as being so grateful and thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ for the exorcism of evil spirits in her life that she literally spent her life and all of her resources in providing for Jesus and the disciples and joining them in the way. Wow. Well, there's the scene at the cross. Now here's the family situation. As a family man, the Bible says when Jesus saw his mother there, what do you think Jesus saw? Can you put yourself in Jesus' place? When it says he saw, he beheld, he understood, he perceived. He looked at her. He looked into her soul. He was seeing her agony. He saw her face as she was looking at it, the torture and the horror of the scene of her firstborn son. He saw the agony. He saw the pain in her heart. He had no thought of his own at that point. And of course, being the author of the Word, he knew the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother. Now, at this point, it is, all, it is universally believed that Jesus was without Joseph. Joseph had died earlier. There, he was nowhere to be seen. We haven't heard from him. Jesus, being the firstborn son, according to Jewish law, was required to take care 
of his mother. If he died, that responsibility fell on the next brother in line. So you see a problem. Jesus had four brothers and two sisters, according to the scriptures. Why wasn't he given that responsibility to his brothers? Well, glad you asked. <laughs> the scripture answers that too. In Mark 3, 21, the Bible says that when Jesus was out in his ministry, in, in part of his mission, his family sought him out. And they were going to take him home because they thought he was crazy. That's what the scripture says, not what I say. And then in John 7, 5, the Bible says that even his brothers did not believe in him. That's pretty tough. Well, Jesus said way back in Matthew 10 that think not that I'm coming to being peaced, but I'm coming with a sword. I will divide a family against itself. You see, when a person in a family comes to know Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior, the problem with it is, is that those who are not believers create a main source of conflict with that new believer. So the family becomes divided. And it will stay divided as long as the family is not in unity about the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's that sword that comes in and divides the family. It happens because our allegiance is in the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's who we serve. So now, Jesus had to take the responsibility of providing for his mother. We only know of one apostle that was present at the cross. We know of no others. There's no record of any others being there. Some theologians say, well, maybe they weren't in Jerusalem or maybe they weren't outside of Jerusalem. Maybe they were somewhere else. The Bible is very silent on that, but we know of only one apostle that's mentioned, and that's John. So Jesus, knowing John was there, looked to him as the author of the responsibility that he was transferring. Now, as he provides for his mother, his focus was on her. His focus was not on his pain. His focus was not on his agony. His focus was not on his torment. His focus was squarely on his mother and the responsibility that he had been given by the Father in heaven to care for his family. He is, 1 Timothy 5, 8, the Apostle Paul would even put it this way, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, John, John's there with the four women. And as he's there, this is the same John that just a few hours earlier at the Last Supper, the Bible tells us, was leaning on Jesus. 
at that supper. And Peter just kind of whispered over at him, John, Jesus just told us someone was going to betray him. Would you ask Jesus who that person is? Why Peter didn't ask him? John was there. John referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. You see, every disciple wants to feel that of their leader. The reality is, is that Jesus loved all the apostles and all the disciples equally. But the one that really relished in that love, the one that really understood the depths of that love at that particular point in time was John. John. So he said, the one whom Jesus loved. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Jesus wanted to hand over his main responsibility to the one that he knew at that particular point, knew who he was, what his ministry was, what his mission was on this earth, and would continue toward that goal in providing for his own mother. Because he really wasn't sure his brothers would do that. After all, mom was at the foot of the cross. They weren't. So now, here's something I want to share with you. When he turned the responsibility of caring for his mother to the one, shared the same love for his father and his mission. What is our responsibility? What is he trying to say to us as believers in Christ? Let me put it this way. You and I are stewards. That's what we are. We own nothing. We own absolutely nothing. Everything has been loaned to us on planet earth for our use and for God's joy and glory to honor him through these assets. Now, I've been involved in a lot of different estate planning seminars for, for different organizations. Let me just share this with you. The responsibility of a true follower of Jesus Christ does not end when you leave planet Earth. I want that to sink in. It does not end when you leave planet Earth. We have the responsibility of transferring the assets that God has loaned us, whatever they might be, physical, financial, relational. These assets, our family, our friends, everything, we have a responsibility to make sure that when we leave planet Earth that those assets are going to be used by people that are going to use it for the glory of God. Let me tell you how that translates. I was in an estate planning seminar one time, and, and a man said, well, what I'm going to do, and I've had a number of attorneys here uh, who are estate planning attorneys. What this particular man said, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to divide everything equally among all my children. My question, or the attorney's question to that person was, do all your children serve the Lord faithfully? No, he said. 
I've got one that's heavily into drugs. And you're going to give them an equal share. Yes. Why? Because they're one of the children, and I'm dividing it equally among them. Think about that, people. We see Jesus taking this responsibility of the oldest son and delegating that responsibility to someone who's going to treat his mother the way that the Heavenly Father expects him to treat her because that was his asset. Jesus had nothing else. No houses, no cars, no money, nothing. But he had his mother and he had the responsibility as the oldest son to take care of her. And on that cross, he's telling us the responsibility that we have to make sure that we assign whatever responsibility and assets that we have to those that are going to use it for the glory of God and for the furtherance of his kingdom. Does that make sense to you? It does to me. Because then light bulbs begin to go on. We start understanding what a steward is all about. We, we simply understand those children, those relatives, those people, that church, that organization that is serving the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength should be the recipients of whatever assets the Lord has blessed me with because I'm not taking it with me. There's no U-Hauls on the back of hearses. You don't take it with you, you're going to leave it all here. Now, one of the shocking statistics that I have heard that is a fact is somewhere around 65 to 67% of the people in the state of Florida, and it's true nationwide, by the way, not just picking on this state, die without a will. Now, when you die without a legal will, what you're doing is allowing the state to determine how they want to divide that property. Why would you do that? As a true, strong believer of Jesus Christ, why would you do that? It's like at that point in time, taking all of Jesus' garments, which is all he had, and, and giving them to the soldiers. Or, if he had more assets, dividing them among the brothers who didn't believe in him. Does that make sense to anybody here? It makes no sense to me. Why would we allow anyone, any organization, any government authority to determine how the blessings that God has given us over the years to be shared with anybody other than somebody that's going to honor and glorify Jesus. I don't get it. Strong Christian estate planners will tell you they don't get it either. So you and I have a responsibility. We're all at that point. We look at this, and what a blessing, what a benefit this is to you and to me that Jesus would even address this on the cross. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Okay, Lord, you've instructed me. I've got this. Don't worry about it. And so God says to us, I've given you not only my only begotten son, 
and your faith in Him has given you entrance into my eternal home, but I've also given you a lot of other things. A lot of other things. I think in my heart and mind, what could happen to the gospel ministry and mission if we were really faithful at this particular point of making sure that when we leave planet Earth, we leave with a smile on our face knowing that everything is going to somebody or some organization or church that's going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with the assets that aren't ours that have been loaned to us for a period of time. Hmm. It's something to think about, folks, in your life. Now, here's the thing. Acts 1.14 tells it this way, that now, even though the family was not present there, after the resurrection, Acts 1.14 says at Pentecost, his entire family was gathered together. Don't you love that? Oh, what a difference a day makes. Boy, I'm telling you, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And so, at that point, the resurrection, Acts 1 says Jesus spent 40 days with them, showing himself alive after many infallible proofs, and the family was there. And then James is who we're studying on Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. James writes this great book because of his relationship to his brother Jesus. Mm, mm, mm. The whole family was there. They understood. But it took an empty tomb for them to do so. Do you fully understand the message that Jesus is trying to convey to you this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you don't, you know, what I'm saying to you just seems to be arbitrary to what you know. I mean, you, your whole life you've, you've scraped and, and tried to save and, and accumulated a mass of wealth or for whatever property you have. And not just dividing it equally just seems counterintuitive to you until you hear the words of Jesus on the cross. And then it begins to make sense. My stewardship on this earth continues on after I leave it. And it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm directing these assets in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Well, if you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is a great day to do so. Maybe you've trusted Christ, but you've never publicly professed Him. Maybe you've never followed Him in baptism. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're just dealing with a lot of different things. This morning, Jesus beckons you, come unto Him. And we open that door to you. Maybe you're looking for a church home. This invitation is for you as well. The door's wide open. The church home is here for you. We have a great church family. In any event, this invitation is for each and every one of us.
Let's all pray. Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are and we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to hear you in a way that brings you honor and glory. Lord, for these decisions that are being made even now, may they honor you. Lord, may no one no ever leave this building with indecision for simply to say no or to say maybe is a decision. So thank you, Lord, for the decisions that have been made even now. We give them up to you, and we praise you for them. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing the hymn of invitation, and I'll be here at the front to pray with you about whatever the Lord has laid on your heart.